Greetings, Maltopians. Are you looking to delve deeper into the world of Maltopia? Then check out our Patreon, where you can find written mythos pieces, world maps, found footage, art, Patreon-exclusive shows, and more. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Maltopia and join one of our tiers for access to great new content. Brave the forbidden and embrace the darkness. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The dawn broke through the mists and foliage of the savage woods, dappling the ground with pale light. It seeped through the thin membranes of Wes's eyelids, lighting the darkness behind them. He slowly let the world in, a somber portrait of grays, purples, and blacks, bruises upon the sky. He leaned upward and saw the smoldering bones of last night's fire, smelled the musk of its afterlife. 
Vorn was up gathering what little supplies they had, bundling them together with some alien-looking vines he must have pulled from one of the trees. Riva, of course, was standing vigilant, eyeing the woods with a scrutiny born of a lifelong sentinel. Moffat was stoking the dead campfire, watching small embers lift from it like tiny phoenixes rising from the ashes. He could hear the clouds grumbling overhead, the sensation of light rain prickling his skin. As he rolled up his sleeping bag, Vorn approached, handing him some water and a stick of beef jerky. Tried to make it last. That's all you'll have until we get to the second discovery site. Do we have any uh, ammunition left? Barely. Why? Well, uh, depending on what we find at the second site, we have to entertain the possibility of, well, hunting down our next meal. Moffat suddenly piped up, joining the conversation. That's if whatever we manage to kill, if it doesn't kill us first, that is, is even edible. Well, that's true, but the human gut is pretty amenable when it comes to meats. We can process most of it fairly well. It may be a chance we have to take. Let's just hope we find some food at the second base. With that, Moffat oriented the group in the right direction, and Riva led them through the woods. Wesley noticed the daytime forest noises didn't vary that much from the night. It was as if all its inhabitants never slept, insomniacs all. While he could hear a great many of animals, he rarely caught a glimpse of one. Sometimes he'd catch a flash of something with antlers, but never the whole thing, like living puzzle pieces were wandering the wilds, ever searching for their other components. He could see insects, though. Some were utterly alien, while others smacked of the terrestrial and familiar. On several occasions, he had accidentally walked through skines of thick webbing, his heart racing as he feared what kind of horrible spider thing might have spun them. But every time, he remained ignorant of the creators, never laying eyes upon them, their absence causing a different kind of fear. He witnessed other things as well, things that made his skin crawl. At one point, a fetid breeze accosted the group, and they saw piles of dinner plate-sized beetles eating the rotting flesh of a dead animal of some sort. They clamped down on residual meats with mandibles almost half the size of their bodies, and their eyes were less bug-like, more like those of a reptile's. They seemed to glare at the men as they pass, as if warning them off. Wesley imagined carpets of the things overtaking them, their little chitinous legs scuttling over their bodies, tearing off small chunks of their flesh until there was nothing but red-stained bone. He was glad when they finally passed them, no longer able to hear the feverish clicking of their jaws. There was little in the way of chatter, the grumbling of their stomachs the only act of dialogue. They were tired and hungry, whittled down to their most basic drives. They became like zombies as they trudged through the thickets, hour after hour, tree after mangled tree. It was only when they began to notice the forest thin that they showed some spark of vitality, moving from a tired shamble to a brisk pace. Up ahead, dull gray light peeked between the fingers of trees, streams of the stuff cutting through the alien wilds. I'll admit, I was starting to doubt you, Cyrus. Never doubt a Moffat, my boy. It always ends badly. Wesley could almost hear the voice grumbling, its disdain for Cyrus palpable, almost creating a sour taste in his mouth.
As the troop neared the end of the forest, a horrible stench assaulted them, nearly moving Wesley to wretch. Moffat appeared to do his best to maintain his composure, though his face revealed his obvious nausea. Riva seemed unfazed, and Vorn simply moved his shirt to his nose, trying to stem the fetter of rotting things. Jesus Christ! <coughs> what the <coughs> What the hell is that? <coughs> I have a snaking suspicion we're about to find out. Once the group finally walked past the last trees and into the clearing, they were accosted by an unbelievable sight. To be sure, they didn't expect to find anyone at the outpost alive, but what lay before them resembled more a demented horror show than a battlefield. Hollowed out bodies lay flat against the ground, making them look like Halloween costumes to be put on and worn. Some of the husks were stuck on pikes, their rotting flesh billowing in the wind like deranged flags. The empty corpses littered the entire scene, sprawled on the ground, hanging from poles sewed into the canvas skins of still-standing tents. The rest of the camp was pristine. No blood spatter, no scorched earth, no destroyed vehicles. A calm apocalypse. Dear God. While Wesley was almost stricken sick for a second time, the voice had an alternative take on the scene. <laughs> I rather enjoy the scenery. You can tell that whoever, or whatever, did this took pride in their work. A showman to be sure. <laughs> Shut up, you goddamn vile thing. These were people for Christ's sake. They had families, fucking children. How the fuck can you laugh? Oh, quite easily, little Wesley. Know that I would do worse to you and your friends. Your entire world, if I had the chance, I would boil your insides until they came exploding out of you, peel your skin off in long, tender strips, grind you between my teeth for eons. Your kind are nothing to me. Little bags of rotting flesh wandering about aimlessly, clueless as to just how insignificant they truly are. Well, I guess it's a good thing you can't do any of that, isn't it? You said if I had the chance. What exactly is keeping you, hmm? I'm starting to get the sense that perhaps you're as stuck with me as I am with you. I don't know what you were before me, but right now you're just a lone voice in one man's head. You can't get much more insignificant than that. There was a pause for a moment, and Wesley could somehow feel eyes burning into him, singeing his soul. He could sense something looming over him, something titanic and ageless, like looking up at the stars, realizing how small you are. Oh, you play a dangerous game. This voice has toppled empires, shouted down gods, sundered worlds with a single breath. It is more than capable of breaking the esteemed Wesley Morrigan, the little orphan from Romania. The hell are you talking about now? I was born in Montana, you idiot. Where are you now? <laughs> My mistake. <laughs> he knew the voice was just trying to bait him, rattle his nerves get him to believe it's bullshit, but Wesley couldn't help but wonder if there was something to it, something it was hiding. He shook his head of the thought. There was no use fixating on it. There were more pressing matters. 
He came out from inside himself and focused on the hellscape in front of him. His eyes feasted on the grisly scene as if they were vultures, unable to look away. Riva began to sign Devoren. Well, I guess you're right. There's no point gawking. We should start trying to find food and provisions. Gentlemen? Wesley and Moffat nodded. All but Riva produced a cloth of some kind to put over their faces to reduce the stink. From there, the four of them fanned out and searched the area. Wesley took the nearest large tent, which he imagined used to be barracks of some sort. Once inside, he realized it was one of the research tents, equipment all in place, seemingly undisturbed. More husks had been embroidered into the walls. Their faces looked like glossy Halloween masks, the eyes empty, mouths gaping. There was a whole patchwork of them scattered about the canvas walls and ceilings, the grisly decor of an abattoir. He tried to ignore the empty-out things, but he felt as if they were watching him, their hollowed-out eyes somehow capturing him within their ovular voids. He fixed his eyes straight and began to search the lab. It didn't take long for him to find a large box of MREs stuffed in one of the corners. Probably placed there when study teams needed a quick bite to eat. He also found bottled water in the now warm fridge. He took a backpack hanging from one of the coat trees living on the far side of the lab and stuffed it full of his spoils. While doing so, he noticed a folder sitting on the table next to him, labeled Team 6 Discovery. Curious, he perused its contents, coming across recon reports by one of the field teams. Apparently, a group of researchers and soldiers traveled a few days from camp on a discovery expedition. There was some description of novel botanicals they had found, and even a picture of some hooved creature that looked like a cross between a moose and a horse. But what stood out to Wesley the most was the mention of an enclave, discovered on day three of their venture. He shuffled through the papers to find more details, finding some photos, images of a bizarre rural town tucked between thick brush and gigantic trees. Storm clouds loomed above the place, their grayish bellies pregnant with rain and thunder. The buildings had a crooked lean to them, like their geometries had been warped by time and storm. While any specifics were hard to make out, the architecture seemed old and gothic, pointed spires jutting up from its roofs, archaic stone masonry making up some of the larger structures. There were no people, at least not in the photograph. He placed the pictures back in the file and continued to flip through the pages. Among them, he found an inventory log for the mission. In it was a curious entry that caught his eye. Team 7, Expedition 3, Footage. A-0-0-0-3. Wesley dug further through the file but found nothing. He'd remembered the protocols for field data storage and where it was to be maintained and secured. He imagined this site had the same protocols. So he scurried around the lab until he found what he was looking for. A tall metal cabinet. The keys were still in the lock. Opening the doors revealed a highly organized cache of files, computers, and paperwork. After a few minutes of rummaging, he found a container of USB drives, all labeled with various codes. It only took him a moment or two to find the one he was looking for. 
A0003. Taking the flash drive from its place, he hurried to the closest laptop, hoping it still had enough battery to work. It turned on, the internal fan buzzing to life, the screen aglow. He clicked on the appropriate drive and found various video files. It seemed to be all the field agent's headcam footage. Then he remembered when they had discovered the town. He double-clicked on one of the Day 3 files, and the screen opened up into vast dark forestry, of which he was quite familiar. While there was hours of footage, Wesley fast-forwarded until he could see the image of a town come into view. The video was quite a bit clearer than the photo, despite the deluge of rain coming down, and he could make out various details he couldn't before. The buildings indeed partook of a more gothic design, but there was something else, a darker character he couldn't quite put his finger on. It was a sort of effulgence, an aura that seemed to swallow the whole of the town, or at least what was visible of it. He could have sworn he saw flashes of massive shapes looming over the place during the lightning strikes. But when he went back and paused the footage, there was nothing. Just arcs of lightning casting the place in a dark, purplish glow. The camera stayed on the town for about 25 minutes or so, and then the group began to turn around. As they left, Wesley saw on the periphery yet another figure. He rewound the video and slowed it down. Sure enough, during the lash of another lightning bolt, a tall, shadowy figure stood before the entrance to the village. He zoomed in on the frame. It seemed to be a man, though no details could be discerned. Something squirmed at his feet, a writhing pile of tentacles or vines. He felt a certain terror looking at it, a horrific feeling of cosmic smallness, like all the blackness of the universe had been stuffed into the shape of a man, who stared back at him as surely as he stared at it. He looked away from the screen, as much out of fear as necessity, and closed the laptop. Stuffing it into his satchel along with a file, he left in search of his comrades, who were no doubt collecting as many rations as they could carry. Once Wesley was able to track down the others, he took out the laptop and played them the footage he found. They watched with great interest as the strange town came into focus, their stares intense at the appearance of the ominous figure standing in front of it. Where did you say this was? Uh, about a few miles from here. At least that's what the file says. Well, how the hell are we supposed to know where that is? We have no sense of direction, after all. The cartographers, they, uh, they drew up a map, it seems. Plus, the expedition team marked various landmarks as they went. I mean, between the two, we should be able to follow it. Yes, but the question is, do we want to find this place? If you recall, our last venture into Grimland's civilized society didn't go too well. Hmm, point taken. What else can we do? We all know no one's coming to get us. The United Nations Council had enough problems getting this project together. <laughs> Let alone coordinating a rescue mission for people they don't even know are alive. Or dead, for that matter. Pfft. United Nations. Do you really think that's who sanctioned this? Well, yeah, of course. That's common knowledge. They, they gathered at the World Summit on... There no longer is a United Nations, my friend. Only a clever mask to wear for the masses. 
Well, then, uh, who the hell did send us? Oh, I haven't the foggiest. Could be the Esoterium, the Consortium of Doors, the Sinistrati. The list goes on. <sighs> Jesus, is, is there anything left in this fucking world that I do know? Most likely not, I'm afraid. Wesley threw Moff at a glare, to which he only smiled. River began to sign, as if annoyed. River says the town is our only option. Like Wesley said, no one's coming to find us, and we can only live so long on the provisions we have. Even if we stayed here and used up all the rations, we'll be no closer to getting home. And what about the figure in the video? Ominous, certainly. But no more ominous than staying in a camp full of hollowed-out bodies. The point is, we're probably in just as much danger here as anywhere else. At least with the town, there's the possibility of more rations, and actually learning something about this fucking place. Have you been able to gather anything from those books you transcribed? Between running for our lives and hiking through an endless forest, I haven't had time to read them. But I plan on perusing them tonight. For now, I think we should camp here. Not exactly an ideal backdrop by now, but we can at least use up the provisions here that we can't carry. Yeah, it's as good a plan as any. Well, I wouldn't say it's as good as any. Clearly there could be. Oh, just fuck off, Moffat. Wesley started towards one of the large tents and then began to unpack his gear. Moffat looked at Vorin and River. Well, that was rude. The two men shook their heads and joined Wesley in unpacking. Minutes later, Moffat followed. Soon the group was yet again huddled around a fire, the flames casting horrific shadows from the fleshy husks scattered about the area. They could hear the sounds of the hung skins flapping in the slight breeze, providing a morbid score to their otherwise calm night. While the surroundings were certainly jarring, sleep was urging Wesley to the blankets he had stolen from a nearby tent. He laid his head down and entered the darkness behind his eyes. But this darkness was different. It wasn't simply the absence of light, but something more. Something deeper and more sinister than anything he'd ever known. There were sounds. Unearthly bellows and growls that could cow oceans, shatter worlds and disperse galaxies. He felt the presence of terrible things, writhing, unnameable horrors of maddening proportions. His head could barely contain them, their nature so alien and outré as to cause his psyche to retreat to the furthest lands of his mind. And just as he thought he would burst from the horror of his sights, the blackness turned white, and the sounds that once haunted the void turned to deafening screams. Grimland is a Maltopia production. Today's episode was written by Stephen Anslone. The episode was edited by Walker Kornfeld. Sound production and editing was performed by Stephen Anslone. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching Maltopia. That's M-A-E-L-T-O-P-I-A. And if you'd like to know more about Grimland and contribute to its nightmarish expansion, visit us at www.patreon.com forward slash Maltopia, where you can gain access to all sorts of art, mythology, stories, and more. 
For more information about Grimland and the world of Maltopia, visit us at maltopia.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 